Ted is on it. How's everyone doing? Oh, okay, switching them out. <laughs> it's good to see everyone today. If you're happy to be in the house of the Lord, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm happy. <laughs> you know, it's important. You know, God wants you to be happy. That's not what I'm talking about today, but in Psalm 35, it says that God delights in the welfare of his servants. God delights. He rejoices in the prosperity of his people. You know, I know there's a theology out there that says that God is mostly mad. He's mostly sad because you are bad. Snap. I'm going to be, I'm going to be spitting rhymes today. Y'all even, y'all ain't even ready. But God, he is, he is filled with joy and he rejoices over your life. And he rejoices over your life when things go well for you. If you believe that, say amen. amen. I want you to turn to two places in your Bible. I want you to turn to John chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. And then 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 12 to 23. So put one finger at 2 Samuel chapter 6. 12 to 23. If you're wondering where 2 Samuel is, it's after 1 Samuel. I hear you already. Where's 1 Samuel? Your Bible has a table of contents. So 2 Samuel 6 and then John 12. So before we read these passages, I just want to share some things. You know, me, I grew up in, um, I grew up in North Carolina, but I grew up loving hip hop music. You know, I know some of you may have come from backgrounds where they say, you know, hip hop is the devil, you know, rap is demonic, you know, it's not necessarily true. Some of it is okay. It's a, a large percentage, <laughs> but growing up, I grew up with, I grew up with, with hip hop music. I grew up always listening to um, I grew up like the first artist I, I ended up listening to was N.W.A. You know, I was like a little, little four-year-old kid, little five-year-old kid. If you don't know who N.W.A. is, uh, just ask somebody after service, <laughs> ask one of our leaders. Our leaders have been saved from all kinds of stuff, so they'll know. Um, but <laughs> N.W.A., I remember like, you know, I grew up and even the older I got, I loved like the notorious B.I.G. I love, you know, Puff Daddy. Puff Daddy, P. Diddy, Diddy, Puff, Daddy, whatever he's calling himself now, D-I-double-D-Y, whatever. You know, I grew up like, listen, I grew up, lo I loved hip-hop music. I loved hip-hop music, and I also grew up like I loved uh, the producers. I didn't just love the rappers. I didn't just love the R&B, oh, too. Oh, don't get me started about some R&B. Oh, snap. You know, I don't know why, but I was like this little five-year-old kid singing like Boys to Men and like... Troop and as yet, y'all don't even know who as yet is, do you? As yet, oh, oh yeah. Pastor James, like, I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, I grew up and I, I just grew up around, you know, hip hop music, R&B music, rap music, and I just loved it. And I also grew up like I loved the pro the production end of it. So I didn't just like I didn't just listen to all the all the rappers, but I had my favorite producers. 
you know, like this guy by the name of Teddy Riley, you know, he's a producer. He had this group called Black Street. You know, I'm sure you've heard of one of their songs, you know. <laughs> Don't be singing it. No diggity. You know, that they have a couple songs, you know. I know, like, have you ever seen it? You see the movie Pitch Perfect? They've got this movie, Pitch Perfect, where, like, they got these acapella groups, and they remix, like, this one new group. They start remixing, like, hip-hop songs, and when they remix No Diggity, I was like, oh, you know, I was like, you're judging me because I watch Pitch Perfect, but uh, whatever. But, like, I, I used to love the producers. I love the production end of it. I had my favorite producers. I li- used to listen to all their music. But one thing I always appreciated about hip-hop music and hip-hop culture is something called the remix. Who knows what a remix is? You can raise your hand. Raise your hand if you know what a remix is. Oh, my goodness. I'm a- okay, we're going to do some education today. So a remix is a, a re. A remix. Uh, like there's, an, there's an original version of a song that comes out, right? And so you hear there, there's an original version, it's made, and then what happens is that song's either really popular or whatever, and so what they do is they maybe take out a verse or two, keep the chorus, the melody, the same beat. Sometimes they'll even change that up, but they keep certain elements of the song together so that when you hear it, you can recognize, oh, this sounds like the song from before. But they usually add on like a rap, like if it's an R&B song, they'll add like a rapper. If it's like, you know, if it's a, a rap song, they'll add about five other rappers, you know, like <laughs> they will do this and it's called the remix. And I, I grew up appreciating remixes. Why am I talking about remixes? I came to the revelation this week that God loves remixes. Like God, he is the originator. God makes the old school hits, right? Genesis chapter one in the beginning, you know, and we all know that God, he's the originator. You know, he's the author and perfecter. Jesus, he wrote it all through by him, through him, for him. All things are made. But Jesus also says in Revelation, he says, behold, I make all things new. Actually, from generation to generation, God, he takes the principles and precepts we find in the Bible and he remixes them for each generation. So what your parents used to sing and what your parents used to get touched by and the sermons that they listened to where, you know, they had the preacher up here and he's sweating. He's like, and God is going to send you to hell if you do not repent and and God, you know, and they used to get like so touched by that. God realizes the next generation is going to listen to that and be like, man, he's tripping. He needs to sit down. Why is he sweating so much? Somebody get him some water. So he's like, you know what? We got to remix it for the next generation. We got to take these principles and precepts. We got to take all these things that God has done and they need to be moved around. Sometimes God will speak a principle and precept through one verse But when he remixes it, he takes another verse and speaks that same principle and precept. The funny thing, though, I realized was that God, he has the he's the originator of the he's he's the originator and he's the remixer. But Satan, Satan, he does bootleg. (laughs) You know, Satan, he's the father of lies. He has no creative power within him. For you to think that Satan is creative, you have been deceived. He doesn't have creative power. Our God is a creative God, but Satan, he is not creative. He is 
a counterfeiter. He is the bootleg guy. You know, he's that guy on the corner in Seoul selling the DVDs for Chunon for 1,000 won. And you're like, hold up. Wait a second. This is Matrix 5. I didn't even know this is out yet. Wait a minute. Hold up. Lord of the Rings 10. Where did this even come? You know, you buy that. I know some of y'all. You know, if I stopped by your house right now, you'd have a ton of DVDs, but no cases. It's because you're buying them bootleg. See, Satan, he doesn't have the power. John 10 says that he, he steals. He, the, the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He doesn't have the power to create, to originate, or to remix. He only bootlegs. He comes up with the counterfeit version. It's that, I remember, okay, I, I'm going to be vulnerable. You know, when I first came to Korea, well, actually, I grew up in, in kind of, I grew up in an area where there was a lot of bootleg action anyways. Like, I remember my uncle came home one day, and he had this pair of Jordans. But, like, <laughs> you know, the Jumpman symbol was off. Like, <laughs> like it was like this. He was like, yo, these are the flyest Jordans right here. I'm like, how much did those cost you? $30. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Either those things are stolen or they are not real. And they turned out to be both. <laughs> you know, I remember when I first came to Korea as an exchange student and I walked by that corner and I saw that Adashi with, with the DVDs laid out. And I'm trying to figure out the cops, they walk by it. They don't even like they buy DVDs. No one arrests this man. Like, but anyways, he's trying to make a living. Okay, whatever. Um, and I remember walking by and I saw what movie was it? I don't even remember, but it wasn't out yet in the States, but it was on DVD right there. And I was like, Oh snap. And he's sitting there and he's like, Hey brother. Hey brother. For some reason, they always call you brother when they talking to you on the street in Itaewon, everyone trying to sell me a suit is my brother for some reason. <laughs> hey brother. Hey brother. You want a suit brother? You, I'm wearing a suit. I don't need anyways. And he's like, He's like, brother, you want to get this? You know, and I'm like, oh, it's only, it's only a thousand won. This seems too good to be true. I just met the Lord, you know, that's a little excuse. And so I'm like looking around. Okay. So I buy it. I take it home. I put it in. The case was in like the paper printout was in English. I put the thing in. Everything was dubbed in Chinese. See, with Satan, you get what you pay for. The problem is many of us get deceived and we think the bootleg is the real thing. We think that what we've experienced in the past that is a counterfeit of the real thing. It is a chunan. It's in Chinese. It ain't even the right movie. And we start thinking that it is the real authentic thing but God he is the originator the author and perfecter and he makes the remix why am I talking about this today we're starting a new series I, I felt the Lord was putting something on my heart to start a new series with you and we're going to go through the core values of this house the core values of New Philadelphia Church what it, what is it that makes this house so distinct? I know for many of you, you're new or maybe you've been coming out for a while and you step in. And even during worship, you're 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 trying to figure out what is it about this place? Something about this place is different. 
but I can't put my finger on it. So what we did was we came up with, in 2010, the core leaders, we came together and we, we prayed through and we talked through what are, what are the things that make our house distinct? What is it about this community? What is it about the mandate that God has put upon this house that makes this community different than any other community? Because what God's doing here is different than what he's doing down the street. His mission and mandate for this community and for this house is different than what you'll see elsewhere. And it's important for you to know what is really going on here in this house. What God is really doing. Because if not, you'll come in with counterfeits. You'll come in with these misperceptions of what things are supposed to look like. And then all of a sudden you're thinking, well, this is the way I've always worshipped. This is the way I've always prayed. This is the way I've always thought. And you may not know that you are walking in the counterfeit when God wants you to live in the real thing. So we're going to start a series, Core Values, the remix. I used to love buying the remixes, though, with the DJs. They always the most obnoxious, you know, just the song starts and I'm like, I can't even hear the song because there's an explosion. Like there's like a, a, a horn going off. Wah, 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 remix. I just missed the first half of the song. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, you think you know the core values. But this is the upper, upper remix. Uh, come on, come on, do it, do it, do it, get, do it. Some of y'all are like, how do I make that sound? Ara, ara. Just say R R. Do do. Turn to turn to your other neighbor. Tell him, say, neighbor, you think you know the core values, but this is the ara ara remix. I'm so proud of Pastor John Michael. He did it. He said, ara ara, yeah. <laughs> He did. He went like that. (laughs) You know, you know, the house of God, you're supposed to be happy here. You're supposed to have fun here. Everyone thinks the fun is outside. That's the counterfeit. The joy that you can experience in the house of God. That's the real thing. (laughs) I love that. He was. He got that pastoral swag. I'm telling you. So I want to talk to you today about. The first core value, we have nine core values as a church. And so over the course of the next nine sermons that I preach, we're going to go through each one of those core values, but it's not going to be the same. I'm not going to preach verbatim the same messages that Pastor Christian preached, because anytime a remix happens, there's a new verse. You know what I'm saying? Anytime the the remix goes out, it's it's supposed to come fresh. It's supposed to bring something. A lot of times the remix can be so good. You like listening to the remix. Don't tell Pastor Christian I said that. You know what I'm saying? It'd be awesome to have like a DJ up here. Like every time I say remix, they trickle, trickle, remix. Wah, 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 wah. Next week, we're going to have a DJ up on stage. It's going to be legit. I just said that. I don't know if that's true. Don't get you too excited. The first core value of our church is, and I want you to write this down. If you're a leader, if you are a newcomer, if you've been coming out for a while, but you still feel new, I want you to take notes today because you are here. You need to find out what it is about this house that is different. Maybe you don't have pen and pad, you know, just take your iPhone and stay off of Facebook, go in airplane mode, but 
take some notes today because it's going to bless you. The first core value of our house is to be extravagant in worship. The first core value of our house is to be extravagant in worship. And I'm pretty sure that when you came to New Philly, one of the first things you noticed, especially if you came between four o'clock and four thirty, <laughs> as long as you weren't too late, I ain't looking at nobody sitting in the back. Just kidding. Is the worship here in this house. And as a house, one of our distinctives is that we are going to be extravagant in worship, meaning that when we come before God in worship, we don't just come just because, oh, it's Sunday at four o'clock and we just need to warm up some chairs and get through some songs and listen to a sermon so that when my mom asked me, "Hun, are you going to church? Yes, mom. No, we come because we are expecting to encounter God. And when we come before God, we come before him with our all. That means we can look a little different. You'll see some people raising their hands. You're like, where are they raising their hands to? You see some people shouting, crying, laughing. It's okay to laugh in church. You'll see people dancing even, jumping around. You'll see all kinds of things. And, and a lot of people, when they come to New Philly, they're wondering what is going on with all of that right there. What is that up there? Them crazy people. <laughs> but what you need to know is that one of the distinctives of our house is that we will be extravagant in worship. And it doesn't matter who comes. It doesn't matter how many people come through this house that have never been in an environment like this. We will not change it for anyone. You either have to get with it or go somewhere else. That's why we call it one of our core values because it's a non-negotiable. Be extravagant in worship. Last night, Pastor John Michael, he preached an amazing message about being extravagant in worship. And as I sat there listening to him preach that message, I was thinking, no, he's preaching my message. But what he preached today, last night is just going to flow into what you're going to hear today. So if you didn't, you haven't heard that word, I want you to go back, check the podcast and get it. Uh, okay, so I want, before we get into why we worship extravagantly, I want us to read those passages that I told you to go to. So turn to 2 Samuel 6, 12 to 23. And then um, John... 12, 1 to 8. These are two places in the Bible where we see two people being extravagant in their worship. I'm going to just, I'm just going to, I'm going to just read 2 Samuel 6, 12 to 23. I want you to just read along with me. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who had bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. Dancing is in the Bible. And David was wearing a linen ephod. 
So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. Now, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal or Michael, however you want to pronounce it, the daughter of Saul looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. Somebody say hater in the house. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished the offerings and the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat and a cake of raisins to each one. They all got fed after worship. Amen. Then all the people departed each to his house. And David returned to bless his household. But Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel, you know, that's my hater voice, sorry. How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michal, his wife, it was before the Lord. Who chose me above your father and above all his house. It got personal. To appoint me as a prince over Israel. The people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible or undignified than this. And I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken. By them I shall be held in honor. And Michal the daughter of Saul had no child to the day of her death. Snap. Now turn over to John 12. And we're going to read that. I'm going to pray for us. And we're going to get into this. John 12. 1 to 8. Six days before the Passover. Jesus therefore came to Bethany. Where Lazarus was. Whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with them at table, at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, hater, one of his disciples who was he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. In other, trans- in other gospels, it says that what she has done, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her worship. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that you desire this house and this community to be a place of extravagant worship, not a place of half-hearted worship, a place of extravagant, full-out worship. And God, I pray today as your word goes out, I pray, Father, that it will go out to bring revelation, but not only revelation, but God, it would it would stir inside of us, God, a desire to worship you extravagantly. To be undignified, to be shameless, to pour out our lives at your feet, to give you all that you deserve. 
Even if it makes us feel uncomfortable, God, may it bless your heart. Because, Lord, you're worthy. So, Lord, I bless your name. We bless the preaching of your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So both of these stories are, are very interesting and well-known accounts in the Bible. You see in the story in 2 Samuel that, that David wanted to bring the ark of the Lord. And the ark of the Lord represents the presence of God. But David wanted to bring the ark of the Lord into his house. But he was afraid because one of his, one of his servants, they, they dropped it. And immediately upon dropping the ark, God struck him dead. So naturally, that's going to make anyone pause. You know, you just see a guy get struck dead right there. So you're like, okay. Maybe we should wait on this. But later on, he decides, you know what? No, because he hears that when they put the ark of the Lord inside of Obed-Edom's house, God blessed him. Where the presence of God was, he was blessed. That's the first thing you should know right there is where the presence of God is, you are blessed. That's not, that's not a point, but you can write it down. And so he, he comes to this realization that I need the presence of God with me. I need the presence of God where I live. I need the presence of God in my city. So he gets his men together and they, they pick up the ark of the Lord out of Obed-Edom's house. I bet you Obed-Edom was, was tripping out. You know, he was being blessed. He had the presence. And now they just come in and take it. He's probably like, no, what are you doing? But they take it. And as they're walking, David is, he is dancing. He's shouting. He's getting down. He is, he is dancing. And he, t- he takes off his kingly robes. Even. And his wife sees it and she's looking out from afar. It's always people who watch from afar for some reason, you know, watching from afar out the window and says, David, look at him. She's just hating on everything he's doing. She looks at him and she just has nothing but contempt towards his worship. And here in this house, our worship that we bring before God, a lot of people come in and it puts them off. It makes them feel uncomfortable. You're wondering, why is the guy standing next to me shouting? Why are they raising up their hands, taking up my personal space? I'm trying to get my, you know. Why are the people, what, what is going on here? What kind of building, what kind of church did I step into? In John, we see that where Mary, she sees Jesus and she breaks out this ointment of pure nard, this, this ointment expensive. It's worth a year's worth of wages. She breaks it out at Jesus' feet and wipes his feet with her hair. And Judas Iscariot says, what kind of waste is this? This is too wasteful. But Jesus says, no, no. What she's done, wherever the gospel's preached, what she's done will be told throughout the whole world. See, there is value to being extravagant in worship. I want to talk to you about why we should be extravagant in worship. Why do we in this house, why do we worship extravagantly? The first reason, I want you to write this down, because God is worthy. We worship extravagantly because God is worthy of it all. I want to tell you something, that the only kind of worship that exists is extravagant worship. Because half-hearted worship isn't worship to God. It's worship to something else. We worship God extravagantly in this house because we believe that he is worth it all. Revelation 4, 11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Revelation 5, 9 to 10 
It says, and they sang a new song. This is talking about in heaven. All the peoples that are gathered, they sing a new song unto God. What we did today was biblical. Singing a new song, it's in the Bible. Giving him all we have from the innermost being is biblical. Worthy are you, talking about Jesus here, to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. One of the reasons we worship God extravagantly is because Jesus is worth our extravagant worship. He was slain on our behalf to make us a kingdom and a priest of our God that we would reign on this earth. Maybe you've not heard about that. Maybe that's news to you that God intends for you to live a powerful life here on this earth. But Jesus died not just so you could get into heaven, but so you could live as as his priest, as royalty, even here on this earth. That kind of authority. We worship God because he's worthy. In Exodus 15, after After God has led the Israelites out of Egypt, Moses and Miriam, they break out into song. And one of the things they say in verse 11, they say, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You know, we worship God extravagantly here because we've lived that other life where we've been worshiping other things. And we recognize that those things do not compare to God. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I think the psalmist wrote that because he knows that most of us have been tasting something else. But when you taste and see that God is good, you recognize that he is worthy of all your worship. That's why we do it. That's why we get crunk the way we do. Because he's worthy. The second reason, extravagant worship brings breakthrough. We see this all throughout the Bible. We see it specifically in Joshua chapter 6, where Joshua is commanded to lead the people of God around the city of Jericho for seven days straight. They're just walking well, seven times around the city. We don't know how long that took, but they were commanded to march around the city of Jericho seven times with the trumpets in the front. Can you imagine how ridiculous that looks? Everyone's watching like, why you got the trumpets in the front? And they're worshiping God, worshiping God, worshiping God. And then at the end, they let out a mighty shout unto God and the walls come down. Shouting unto God is biblical. We see it in Second Chronicles 20. A king by the name of Jehoshaphat. He commissions, he's going into battle against the Ammonites and the Moabites. And God tells him, check it out. I want you to put singers and musicians. I want you to put praise at the front of the army. Now, imagine if you and you and I are going into battle. And we know that they have guns. And God's like, I want you to take Pastor Mark with the guitar. I want you to grab a keyboard and a djembe. And I want you to get in the front of everyone else who already has their guns. They're not going to fire, but I want you to get in the front. And I want you guys to march and I want you to just play some music. Every single one of us would be like, God, you're crazy. I'm good. You know why God did that? 
God did that because worship brings breakthrough. See, many of you, when you come in, you're feeling down and depressed and you're you're feeling broken. But you don't recognize that if you come before God and you bring him extravagant worship, the next thing that manifests in your life is breakthrough. Because God doesn't work the way man works. The way that God brings breakthrough is through praise, through worship. But you got to do it. You got to bring him extravagant worship. The third thing, extravagant worship, it brings intimacy with God. An intimate connection with God. People say, I want to know God. I want to know God's will for my life. I want to see God. You know how you get to that place? Worship. When the woman with the alabaster jar came in and broke it at his, at his feet, and then she started wiping his feet with her hair. Have you ever had anyone touch your feet? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's like, like my feet, that's like a no-no zone right there. You don't touch my feet. Not you know, especially if like, you know, I haven't been taking care of things, you know, you can imagine that Jesus's feet were pretty dirty. Jesus's feet were pretty jacked. There I say jacked up, you know, like I remember one time I was, I was with pastor Benjamin and we walked, we went and we were eating at this Korean restaurant, you know, the Korean restaurants where you have to like take off your shoes and I always feel mad uncomfortable. Like, man, now everybody's going to see my feet. That's where I wear socks. But I was wearing like, I, I don't know. I, wouldn't, I didn't have socks for some reason. And so I'm, I'm take, I take off like my flip-flops or my shoes or whatever. And I'm sitting beside Pastor Benjamin. And Pastor Benjamin looks over at my feet. And, and as soon as I notice him looking over my feet, I feel my feet going like that. <laughs> I was, <laughs> he was like, man. He's like, man, your feet look like old people's feet. He said, your feet look like hands. Uh, I was like, I just forgot to put some lotion on this morning. (laughs) You know, feet, it's intimate. Someone touch your feet, you know, anybody try to touch your feet? You're like, you know, hold hold on now. Feet are intimate. But she was willing to go down and get in the dirt. And the dirtiest part, a person's feet were the dirtiest part of them because they were walking around with sandals and sometimes barefoot. But she was willing to put her hair on his feet. How extravagant is your worship? How low are you willing to go to worship Jesus? Everyone else said it was a waste. Nobody else was willing to put, put anything on his feet. Like, Jesus, you are Messiah, but I'm not touching those. (laughs) And actually, that worship that she brought before Jesus touched Jesus' heart so much that in the next chapter, Jesus does the same for his disciples. He washes their feet. What she did was so intimate, so it touched Jesus' heart so much that Jesus said, oh, that's good. I need to do that for someone else. That's extravagant worship. It brings intimate connection. David talked about him dancing, right? David was known to be a man after God's own heart. He would sit on the hillside with just sheep and worship God. And he was intimate with God. But here's where I want to, I want to shift a bit because most of us, I think a lot of us understand why we should bring God extravagant worship. 
A lot of us understand, you know, yeah, I understand God is worthy. Yeah, I know that worship has power. Yeah, I even know that if I worship God, I'll have an intimate connection with him. But most of us don't. We come into the house of God and we know the reasons. We know why we should worship God extravagantly. We know all these things, but we still don't do it. Why? I'll tell you why. The reason we don't come before God and bring before him our best is because of one thing. And I think it's performance anxiety. Stage fright. We come before God and we're so busy performing. Rather than connecting. I'll tell you a story. When I was, I said I I loved hip hop music, right? I loved hip hop. And then once I, I, I went into middle school. I started like, you know, we just started making music and started rapping me and me and my cousins. We used to sing like we had like a little cassette tape. And then we didn't know in the boom box, you can put the boom, the cassette tape in and sing into the boom box and record over the cassette tape. So we had like our own little mixtape. We called our, ourselves the three cousins. <laughs> it was a really great group name. And then once we once I got into high school, I, I kept writing. But in high school, I discovered spoken word. And in high school, I discovered spoken word. And I remember I I would sit down and I would write spoken word pieces. And I I loved writing it. And so I would write hundreds of pieces all throughout high school. And then once I got to college at UNC, at the University of North Carolina, they had this spoken word troupe. And so I I tried out for the spoken word troupe. and, And I tried out and I made it. I made it. And so we would go out and we would do spoken. They would invite us to go do spoken word pieces at different places. So I would memorize like five, 10 minutes worth of text and then just spit it back like our sister Kimberly does. Like, you know, that God just kind of began to gift me in that way to just be able to do that. And but one day. One day there was this one particular invite they gave us for me to go and do a spoken word piece at this protest. So at UNC, UNC is a very liberal college, so everyone's like all young and fiery, and they just want to protest stuff just to protest, you know, like half the stuff, they don't even know what they're protesting about. It's just, yeah, I want to protest before I graduate. So um, they had this protest um, specifically because at the uh, dining hall, the dining hall, the company that owned the dining hall was hiring um, immigrant workers, but they weren't giving the immigrant workers any benefits. So a bunch of the students got together and decided to hold this massive protest. So there about five, six hundred people. And they said, Marcus, we want you to perform a poem. Cool. Done it before. Whatever. So I but I only had like 24 hours to do it. So I wrote the poem. And then by the time I finished, I had about 15 minutes to memorize it. So I'm frantically memorizing it, thinking about, oh, snap, I got to get this right. I got to get this word right. If I don't, they're not going to understand it. And I'm going through all of these different things. And I'm feeling very, very insecure about my ability to do this poem. But I'm like, okay, it's whatever. You know what? I got this. I got this. My mindset used to be just like, you know what? I'm just going to get up there. It's going to be done. (laughs) Whatever. I get up there. And I'm ready to go. And I start the first line of the poem. I start the first line of the poem and then I start, I do the second line. And by the time I get to the third line, my mind goes blank. And everyone else is like, oh, snap, it's dramatic pause. <laughs> oh, snap, dramatic pause. This is, oh, snap, this is so good. And I'm sitting there like, all of a sudden my mouth shuts. My arms kind of come down to the side. I'm looking down 
and I just freeze. And I'm thinking, oh, snap, I don't know what to say. (laughs) I don't know what to do. I'm feeling very insecure. And everyone's looking at me. (laughs) About four or five minutes pass. And so what I decide to do is I decide I get, I remember one of my other poems. And so I start spitting out the lines from a previous poem, but it didn't really fit. So I finished the poem and everyone's just kind of like, and I step off in shame and, uh, I drank myself to sleep that night. Just kidding. Actually, I think I may have. The funny thing is, is as I was thinking about that experience, I realized that a lot of people come into the house of God and they look exactly like that. Head down, mouth closed, arms locked, looking down, feeling insecure, not knowing what they need to do. Or they're on the other end where they're just regurgitating the same movements that they've always done because they know that that feels comfortable and hopefully God won't reject me. If I just give him what worked before. And so we come before God with this desire not to connect with him, but to perform before him. And so if we feel insecure about ourselves, if we've fallen into sin or we've done something wrong, or maybe we haven't been taught, what we end up doing is we stand there locked up stage fright because we feel like God has put us on center stage. He's looking at us and and we're being watched right now. We don't want to do anything wrong. So we don't do anything at all. Or we do the same things we've always done. And that's why we don't bring God extravagant worship. Because our desire is not to connect with God, but to perform before him. And see, the funny thing is, is once you start performing before God in worship, what begins to happen is you start feeling like a hypocrite. Because you start feeling like, God, I'm just faking it. God, I don't, I don't feel like this. I don't feel like worshiping. God, I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And you start, these lies start coming at you that you are a hypocrite. But you know the word hypocrite in the Greek, you know what it means? Stage actor, performer. The reason you feel like a hypocrite in worship is because you're performing, not seeking to connect with God. So How? How do we connect with God? How do we come to a place where we can extravagantly worship God? Well, I said it's about connection. And you know God is a person, right? How many of you guys know that God is a person? He's not an object. He's longing for your connection. And worship is about an intimate connection with him. So how do we, how do we worship God extravagantly? You speak his love language. How many of you have heard of the love languages? There's this book, I believe it's called The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. And it it breaks down these different love languages in which we can best connect with one another. And so there's, there's 
words of affirmation, acts of service, physical touch, quality time, and gifts. And what we've come to realize as a house is that God loves all of those love languages. You want to know how you can love God extravagantly? You got to speak his language. You ever try to connect with someone that you don't speak the same language with? It becomes very difficult. You ever tried to love someone that the a lot of times what happens when, when we have disconnects with people is because we are trying to love them in the way that we want to be loved. And the problem is many times before God, we're so focused on ourselves. Performers are always focused on themselves. I got to make sure I do everything right. But connects when you want to connect, it's about the other person. And oftentimes we have disconnect because we're, we're trying to love God in the way that we want to be loved rather than loving God in the way that he wants to be loved. And that's through extravagant worship. So I'll go through each one real quick. Each one of these love languages. The first is acts of service. I think this one's really self-explanatory. Serve God. Romans 12, it says, offer your bodies before God as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. When we serve God in that way, when we serve God in the place of worship, it blesses him. It speaks his love language. The second, physical touch. How many people in here are physical touch love language? Like somebody gives you a hug and you're like, ooh, I feel loved. Some of us are not. They're like, ooh, don't touch me. God loves physical touch, but I want to tell you, it looks a little different. You know what it looks like with God? It looks getting physical with God, being physical before God. It says that David danced before the Lord with all his might. When we are physical in our motions before God, it blesses his heart. When we lift up our hands to him. Psalm 63, 4 says, I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. Psalm 47, 1 says to clap your hands, all peoples. You know, when we clap our hands, when we lift our hands to God, when we dance before him, it blesses God's heart. That kind of worship God sees it and he's like, oh, snap, that's oh, you know, I like physical. Oh, snap. I mean, imagine a relationship with someone that you're married to where you never touch them where you're never physical. That's not a relationship at all. That's a contract. The third words of affirmation. You got to get vocal before the Lord. If you're going to break out of this performance mentality, you ever had a relationship with someone that you never talked to. What about even shouting to them? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's crazy. Why is he shouting? (laughs) Imagine if you were in a relationship with someone and they said, you know, you love me, right? Yeah, I love you. I love you. Mm, I love you. Would you would you shout that from the mountaintops? Would you go in the middle of Itaewon and just shout how much you love me? Hold on now, girl, you're getting crazy. Yeah, you, you really love them. You just don't want anyone else to know. 
But when we shout to the Lord, when we're vocal before God, when we are willing to step outside of ourselves and say, God, you are worthy. Hallelujah, Lord. Lord, I praise you. Yes, God. When we are willing to shout unto God, it blesses his heart. You know why? Because it's a word of affirmation unto God. You want God to speak your love language. Why don't you start speaking his? You want God to love you. Why don't he's already loved you. He sent his son to die for you on the cross. The simple fact that you can be in his presence is evidence of his love. But what about the love that you are showing to him? In worship, are we just. I'll just. I'll say the words to the song. I won't won't even sing. No, see, here in this house, one of our value is that we put it on shouting to the Lord, exalting him and being vocal before God because he's worthy. Number four, gifts. The Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where are you putting your treasure? Who are you giving your best gifts to? God? Or someone else? See, here in this house, when we say we want to be extravagant in worship, that means that we are bringing before God our best gifts. That means financially. That means even our talents. That we're committed to bringing before God the best gifts he has for us. Because he's worthy of our best. And then the last one's quality time. David said in Psalm 27, 4, he said, one thing I desire of the Lord, one thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of my God all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to worship him in his temple. You know, here in this house, we don't believe that worship is just the period of time that's getting us to the message. Worship's not... The buffer time for everyone to get here on time. See, God looks at worship and he says, are you willing to just come before me and just sing extravagantly and lay your life down before me in worship? Because when you come before God in that, that's actually what positions you to even receive the word. It was after David was dancing and jumping and shouting after that, then he fed the people. But the people weren't even in the position to receive the bread if there wasn't worship that had happened before. Quality time. Are you willing to come before God, not just in not just individually, but corporately in the place of worship? This one pastor in California, he said that when he comes before God in prayer, he spends 80 percent of that time in worship. How much time are you spending before God in worship? And when you come to the house of God, are you saying, God, you know what? I'm going to give you my time to worship you. We love that saying time is money. (laughs) Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. Either you will love, you will love one and hate the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's the same way with our time. So when we start at four o'clock, the 
the atmosphere in this place, the heart in this place is that from four o'clock on, we are going after God hard in worship. Not from 415 on, not from 420 on, four o'clock. Why? Because God's worthy. Why? Because we know that during that time, that's actually where many of you will receive your breakthrough. We hear testimonies of people getting healed during worship, not during the message, not in the prayer time afterwards during worship. People getting their breakthrough, not after the message, not during the message, but during worship. Why? Because when we worship, God's presence comes. And when his presence comes, there's freedom. Quality time. Are you speaking God's love language? When you come before God, do you want to perform or do you want to connect? Because when you connect with him, that's when the power gets released. That's when the breakthroughs happen. That is where we find ourselves intimately connected with him. To be extravagant in worship. Amen. Amen. I want everyone to stand to your feet right now. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We worship God because he's worthy, because it brings breakthrough, because it gives us an intimate connection with him. But when we worship, we do it with a heart just to connect with him, not to perform. Sometimes we can get so wrapped up in performing before God and for the person next to us. We're wondering what the person next to us is thinking. We're wondering what God is thinking when God's saying, listen, I just want you to connect with me. Everyone just close your eyes right now. Maybe you didn't grow up in, a, in an atmosphere where people worshiped God extravagantly. Maybe where you grew up, it was, it was really quiet all the time. And there's a place for quiet meditation. Don't get me wrong. There's a place for that. But it's not right now. It's not when the people of God come together. That's a time of rejoicing. That's a time of shouting unto him. That's a time of stepping into his presence and connecting with him deeper than we have ever before. And so if you've been coming before God with a performance mentality. I want you to repent of that. Say, God, you know what? I repent. I change my mind. That's what repentance means. I change my mindset, God, that tells me that I need to perform before you. That I have to perform, God, because I'm afraid of rejection. And God, I desire now to connect with you. I desire to connect and worship you and worship you extravagantly. In spirit and in truth. In truth, that means no walls. 
So I'm going to give you a moment right now just to begin to pray. And I want you to pray for yourself and pray, God, whatever walls that I've, I've put up, whatever, however comfortable I've gotten, God, I just, I step outside of those walls I built for myself. Those aren't walls that God has to destroy. Those are walls you need to step out of because those are walls you've built. And just say, God, I step out of those walls. God, I desire to connect with you now. So everyone in this room, let's just begin to pray. Pray, God, take me to a deeper level of worship. Take me to a deeper place in your presence. Let's pray right now. Come on.